Our scripture reading this morning is found in Lamentations chapter 5. I'll be reading the entire chapter. Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans and fatherless, our mothers like widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is none to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been ravished in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands and elders have shown, are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones and boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate and the young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. Of course, let's pray for Pastor John as he comes to speak. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are with us in joy and in sorrow. And um, we thank you that we can now listen to your word and uh, hear what you've brought to John's heart this week uh, through your word. We pray for peace and for your, um, your, your freedom and creativity to... Um, be with him, your spirit to be with him as he preaches today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thank you. Good morning. So last Sunday, we began this series on prayer. And you may remember the passage that we came across, Daniel chapter 9, which is a beautiful and magnificent prayer of the prophet Daniel. You'll recall that he was reading scripture 
and then it dawned on him that the 70 years of exile was coming close to an end. So he prayed. And he began with a spirit of confession and repentance, not only for himself, but for the community. And that's where we saw that beautiful prayer from last week. Now today, we're going to stay around the same time frame. Um, You may recall the story of the exile in which Daniel and his friends were taken captive. And they were taken to Babylon. So all the young, energetic, healthy Israelites were taken to Babylon in service of Babylon. Meanwhile, people like me, who are middle-aged, weaker, the elderly, and the other people would have remained in war-torn Jerusalem. And this is where we find ourselves in the passage that we read just earlier. And you've heard the passage read. In the book of Lamentations, with that raw, kind of emotional, painful prayers, are from God's people in Jerusalem during the time of exile. Now, Lamentations is generally attributed to the community Um, by Jeremiah, the prophet, but no commentator will say for sure because the book does not self-identify an author. But it is a collection of five prayers or five poems divided into five chapters written by the spiritual leaders who remained in Jerusalem. So that's a slight difference between Daniel the prophet and Lamentations today. Now, many of us, thankfully, have not experienced war-torn-like conditions. But I think more and more of us, I've noticed, are coming from different parts of the world. And we are very, very global. And some of you who are here in our midst, I am sure, have had first-hand experience of war-torn conditions. And we have much to learn from you and to listen to your stories. Well, the conditions, as you can imagine, are terrible and horrific. One person said, if you want to know what hell is like, living through war is hell on earth. So knowing now that that was a group of Israelites left in war, ravaged Jerusalem, I invite you now to enter into their experience through the writer of Lamentations. The author is really a masterful poet. And here are some of the descriptions of their condition found from verses in Lamentations 1. It reads, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She was queen among the provinces and has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, Tears are on her cheeks. Among all of her lovers, there's no one to comfort her. And all her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Verse 3. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. And all who pursue her have overtaken her. In the midst of her distress, the roads to Zion mourn, For no one comes to her appointed festivals. 
All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve. And she is in bitter anguish. Verse 11. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? And then in the last portion of chapter 1, this is why I weep, and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. You hear the raw and the haunting kind of description set to poetry of what life was like in Jerusalem for the exiles. Now, the Book of Lamentations is made up of five poems corresponding to the five chapters. And the first four chapters or poems or prayers are in what we call acrostic. In other words, the beginning of the Hebrew alphabet is used for every beginning of the stanza. It is, of course, a way for us to remember, for the original readers, to remember the poem and the prayer. There are different voices in each of these chapters. There is the first-person voice, a singular first-person voice. There is a third-person voice. And then in chapter 5, the voice culminates in what we would say first-person plural. The pronouns are now we and us. It is the communal and the congregational voice that is praying these prayers now to God, collectively and together. It may be worth noting that in these five chapters of Lamentations, we hear nothing from God. God is silent. There is no response. And I think it's a significant feature which illustrates the experience that they're going through. So now with that as a backdrop and an understanding of Lamentations 5, I think I'm now ready to pose the question. What is that one thing that can deepen your prayer life? While we can gradually grow in our prayer life, I think by practicing prayer, by reading a book on prayer, by doing a course on prayer, I've often wondered, what is it that one thing that I see in those who have this mature, deep faith and prayer life? Would anybody want to venture to guess? The answer, I think, is suffering. Suffering, great loss, deep pain. I group them simply as suffering. But suffering is the one thing that can deepen your prayer life. Is that the answer you were expecting? Is that the answer you wanted to hear? 
When you look at all of scripture, and in particular books like Lamentations, or the Psalms of Lament, or the story of Job, suffering is the one thing that can deepen your prayer life. Now I say can, and I choose that word intentionally. I didn't say will. I say can. By that I mean it is not automatic. The experience of suffering will not automatically deepen one's prayer life. It can. And in order for it to deepen our prayer life, it really requires us to respond in a particular way. We need to enter into it and not avoid it, not shortcut it, or not run around it, or not suppress it. How we respond to suffering, to loss, to deep grief, setbacks, failures, hardship, and life will either lead us to a deeper prayer life or it can have the opposite effect. It can push you further away from God. It depends on how we respond to it. Now, in my first pastorate in Ontario, I served as a youth pastor of a Baptist church, which is the same family of Baptists as we are. Rita was a young person in my youth group who was about to get baptized. And the day before she got baptized, her father, a faithful man of God, involved in the local church, had a sudden heart attack, and and he died. It was a loss and a tragedy that is beyond description, beyond all reason, beyond all logic. The whole church family, as you can imagine, was in shock. We did the best that we could to minister to the family, but what would Rita do? Everyone would understand if she delayed her baptism as she was going through this kind of uh, shock and grief. And she was in, we would think that she would be in no shape to actually go through with this. But the family got together and thought that her father would have wanted her to go ahead with it. And so Rita honored her father's request, or what she thought would be his desire, and proceeded to undergo the waters of baptism on that day. There wasn't a dry eye in the congregation. The family leaned on the church community, remained faithful, they prayed, they received counsel, support in the weeks and the months ahead, and the family deepened their faith in Christ in spite of the tragedy. Around that time, there was another family that also experienced a tragedy. A family had two children, an older daughter and a younger son. One day, the teenage younger son had an asthma attack at school and for some reason did not receive medical attention in time. And he sadly died. It was another shock to the church family, as you can imagine. The parents, understandably, had a tremendously hard time dealing with it. They closed up. They distanced themselves from the church community. They did not welcome the support of the pastors and the elders, and over time, eventually became more and more distant 
from God. I don't know what happened later on, and I don't know how the story unravels. I can only hope. I concluded my pastor there, and then I left, and I came to Vancouver. I can only hope that this family found the way back to God. I am very aware that what is described in Lamentations is somewhat different than the personal suffering that you and I experience, and that might warrant a further discussion or... But for the sake of today's theme, I'm going to take the end result of suffering and focus on what I consider as the universal human experience of suffering and how that can deepen one's prayer life. Suffering is like the final examination on a test to all of the things that we've been learning. You know how it is in college, university, for 13 weeks, you sit in classes, you listen to lectures, insights, concepts, and ideas. And then it's the final exam that you sit down and you kind of recount what you know. That's not even exactly the right analogy, but it might be close. Because for Sunday after Sunday, you hear the preacher get up here and you say, trust God, trust God, trust God. As a young Sunday school student, you're taught God is good. God loves you. God wants the best for you. But then hardship, suffering, and loss comes knocking, and it's final exam time. Can you really, really trust God when you go to your doctor's office and she tells you that the results of your biopsy show that you indeed have cancer? Is God really, really good when your child dies from asthma attack in school. And where is God when your spouse comes home one day and says, I think we're finished. I want a divorce. Suffering, loss, grief, and pain, it has a way of putting to test what you think you know about God into reality. Like no sermon no Sunday school class or no book can ever teach you. Now let's take a look at the, some of the stanzas that we have read earlier in Lamentations 5, just as to review. Verse 1 says, Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water that we drink. Our wood can be only had at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels, and we are weary and find no rest. Verse 14, the elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. And because of this, our hearts are faint. And look how Lamentation 5 ends. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew your days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry beyond measure. Lamentations 5, the last poem of the prayer of God's people in Jerusalem, doesn't quite end the way that perhaps you would have hoped or expected. There isn't a nice resolution. There isn't a, right, a nice closure. We don't get this nice, tidy conclusion. We are left with a community in the midst of the suffering 
asking, crying for help, feeling alone. Why would Lamentations end like this? And what are some of the insights that we might be able to gain from a passage like this and from Psalms of Lament and stories of Job? Allow me to offer you some insights for you to consider and to ponder about. The very first thing, we express our deepest emotions to God in prayer. This is what the collection of the Psalms of Lament and Lamentations and stories of Job teach us, that we can express our deepest emotions to God in prayer. Now, some have said that the collection of prayers, like the Psalms of Lament, give us permission to express our anger, our pain, and our complaints. I think I would say that giving us permission isn't quite strong enough. I am convinced that the reason that these prayers are in our holy scriptures is that we are encouraged to, we are strongly encouraged to express and to voice out and to raise our complaints, our understanding of loneliness and cries to God in prayer. Now, for some, it might be writing poetry. For others, it might be journaling. For children, it might be painting or arts, any other, any expression of our deepest emotion, whatever form, we are strongly encouraged to express those to God in prayer. And the mystery of faith is that when we take our questions, our whys, our angers to God in prayer, the healing process actually begins. The opposite of which, to suppress or to bottle up our honest emotions, almost always lead to a kind of unresolved grief or buried bitterness or a sense of spiritual illness. It eats away at your soul. So Lamentations is a call or an encouragement to us. It gives us an example of how to do it, that God's people do it, and they dug deep and they were honest about that. And so we can find ways to express them to God in prayer. And if we are companions or friends to someone who is suffering, we take that posture of being with them. We learn to listen. We refrain from giving them advice or quick explanations as to why this is happening to them. We refrain and hold back those Sunday school answers. We try not to shortcut their experience and their journey by simply making them feel better. Instead, we sit with the person in silence and we wait with them. No judgment, no presumption of how this happened to them or why this has happened to them. And if you're familiar with the story of Job, it is as much of a story of a man journeying through suffering as it is a good manual for the friends to learn what to do and what not to do. I believe that every time we have an opportunity to articulate to express our emotions. It's the first steps toward healing. And I have found that the best kind of person to be that companion for you during the time of suffering is someone who has gone through suffering themselves. So the prayers of lament record for us in the Bible, and they strongly encourage us to enter into suffering instead of suppressing it or running away from it by expressing our emotions and our feelings to God.
The second thing is the healing tears uh, over time. Now, one common strand in the prayers of lament and the psalms of lament and lamentations, as you have heard, it may be strange to talk about this, but it is tears. Now, at one point in my life, like some of you perhaps, I was actually afraid of tears. But now I find myself moved as I sit with people in their time of suffering. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on their cheek. Lamentations 1, 2. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. Lamentations 1, 16. Daughter of Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Lamentations 2, 18. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are being destroyed. Lamentations 3, 48. Tears comes from that deep place within us that transcends the mind and it comes from the heart. So that Psalm 56, 8 says, you have collected all of my tears in your bottle and you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have recorded each one in your book. And so if you're supporting someone through difficult times, don't be afraid of the tears. Every time I think a person shed a tear, they take the next step towards healing. Tears have that cleansing and healing effect on the heart and on the soul. And the most difficult part of suffering, I think, is that common experience that's written about and shared by many. It is the experience of God's silence. The one who is suffering prays and cries out, but is met with silence. It goes against everything that we kind of teach you in Sunday school and in sermons, but that is the common experience among many of this particular journey. I can't logically explain it, but it would seem that people who have that deep prayer life have experienced those times of silence. And they have learned to be faithful. And they have clung on to God. And the fruit of clinging on to God and remaining with God when God is silent is that eventually the sun breaks. And the prayer, the person who's praying, senses an even closer and more intimacy with God. The main goal when we face suffering is really to remain faithful to God, to pray and to sit and to wait. Which leads us to the final lesson on this, I think. Now, initially, the sufferer wants to know why. Why have you forsaken me? Why has this happened to me? And in the times of silence and waiting, and our focus gradually shifts from the why has this happened to me to almost like an epiphany. And the dawn breaks. And we come to the realization that we have not been alone that God has been quietly with us all along. That God in Christ Jesus has actually entered into human suffering and he understands and he knows us and he is with us. And we arrive at that place where it's more satisfying for us to know that God has been with me all this time, more important than the wise and even more important than the actual outcome. Even the actual outcome of whatever happens is secondary. 
And the most important thing is to know that the living God who created the universe is with me. That even though my illness might be incurable, that I can be at peace. For it is God who is with me, and he can help me through this. What do I have to be afraid of? When we arrived at this point, we truly can say that we can trust him through whatever, regardless of the outcome of the situation. And then your prayer life would have reached that place that you could never have reached in good times. That in God's timing, everything will be well. And you can have that peace in your soul that transcends understanding. This is the place that we want to get to, where the whys and the actual outcome is all secondary, and that we have reached that place in our hearts and in our souls with whatever the outcome may be, that we totally surrender and trust God, knowing that he is with us no matter what. When you have arrived, you have hung on, and God has turned something even so terrible as suffering, illness, loss, grief, hardship, failure, into a way for you to draw closer to him. I know of nothing else that has the potential to deepen your prayer life than this journey of suffering and hardship. Now, some of you know the story of Horatio Spafford, the author of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio was a successful attorney and a real estate investor who lost a fortune in the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871. Around the same time, his beloved four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. He thought a vacation would do his family some good, so he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England that he would plan to join them after he finished some pressing business at home. But while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision and it sunk. And more than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of his kids. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. And it was out of that tragedy and suffering that Horatio Spafford penned those honest and heartfelt words that we love to sing when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, that whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, that it is well, it is well with my soul. But these words and lyrics can never be truly tested until hardship or suffering comes our way, and it will. But when it does come our way, may we be able to sing these words sincerely, truly, and mean every word of it. Let's pray. Father, your goodness surpasses our understanding. Your wisdom far beyond ours. And you have turned something so terrible and devastating as suffering and hardship and pain and loss there's something that we can use to get closer to you. 
And so when that comes, we pray that we would be found faithful and that you would guide us and take our hand. Lead us to that deeper place we ask and pray. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.